It is now time to turn your attention to the Titantron, the podcast made by a wrestling fan for wrestling fans. How is everybody doing today? Today is Thursday. Uh, it is uh, election season here in America. Election day was on Tuesday, but we are still waiting on the result. Hopefully we're going to get it by tonight. Probably we're going to get it on Wednesday, but I don't know. We're still waiting on Nevada, still waiting on uh, Pennsylvania, a few other states. So uh, New York already got their votes in. We're staying blue for this uh, 2020 election. I don't know, it's looking like Biden's going to pull up with this win, but we're going to have to wait and see. But until then, let's get some self-promotion out of the way before we get straight into this episode. Of course, the Titantron is on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, you name it, we're there. All of your podcast streaming platforms. But more specifically, and for the first time ever, I can officially say that we are on YouTube. Uh, YouTube's honestly going to start becoming our primary home for the Titantron. Uh, the channel has already around 20 subscribers, so thank you to all who dropped a subscribe within the last few days. Make sure to leave a like on this video, as well as our first video of the second season, which was our Hell in a Cell review. If you haven't done so already, make sure to give that a watch and a like. Uh, special thanks to Keanu and Ali for coming on that episode. They should be back for when we return to Terrier TV Later on in the month when we review Survivor Series, it's the 30th anniversary of The Undertaker. So going to look forward to seeing uh, what we have to say about that. If you haven't already, make sure you follow me on Instagram at the Titantron Podcast. We have officially reached 100 followers. So thank you to all who have followed in the last few days. We had a huge spike in followers. Um, make sure to follow and to leave a few likes on my more recent pictures. One of my favorites was the Retribution Name Generator the name generator. You give in your birth month and your favorite color, and it will generate a name for if you were to join Ali's retribution. So uh, looking forward to seeing what your names are in the comment section below. But speaking of retribution, let's get straight into today's episode. Of course, here on the Titantron, we give you your information and we get you the hell out of here because I know that that's what you want. You want to be uh, informed on the latest for wrestling and you want to go about your day, and I'm here for you. Don't you worry. I got you. I got you. So today on the Titantron, we're going to be talking about the current state of Monday Night Raw, uh, what I like about Raw, what I don't like, and we're going to tie it all back to this last episode of Raw. A um, lot to talk about and not enough time to do so, but we're going to uh, narrow it down to really three topics. We'll get into that in a second. And then later on in the episode, my feature for today is my Mount Rushmore of the WWE. Not professional wrestling. Maybe we'll uh, revisit that in the future one day. But for, for today, we're just going to be talking about the four cornerstones that I believe to be are the faces of the history of the WWE. So looking forward to talking about those four names. But before we get into all of that, and I'm looking forward to doing so, but before that, let's talk about Monday Night Raw. Raw has been a very mixed bag as of late. There's a lot of good going on. And there's a lot of equally as bad. And that's honestly been the case for ever since we uh, stopped doing the podcast for a little bit. I think it was around uh, Money in the Bank. And honestly, it's been the same. You know, you have a lot of good things happening on Raw. But at the same time, you have equally as meh or honestly just trash. Uh, one of the good things that I have liked 
uh, as of late is the Firefly Funhouse. Uh, of course, we all know Bray Wyatt is a mastermind both in and out of the ring, and especially with this revitalization of his character uh, in the Mr. Rogers-esque Bray Wyatt mixed with The Fiend. You can't go wrong there. But once you add now uh, Alexa Bliss into the fray of the Firefly Funhouse, it just adds layers not only to the Funhouse, not only to Bray, but it also adds layers to Alexa. We've seen a different side of Alexa Bliss as of late. And honestly, uh, if she wanted to, uh, whenever she retires from wrestling or takes a break, I could honestly see her going into Hollywood and perhaps making some movies, some blockbuster movies and starring uh, in those roles because she is really good as an actress. Um, I think she would be the first woman in WWE to do so, to make that, uh, make that jump. But I guess you could say Becky Lynch, but that's more of WWE Studios and, you know, the Marine and stuff like that. Um, but we'll get back into Alexa in a minute. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Bray because he is now finding himself in the WWE title picture. And honestly, I don't like it at all. Uh, Randy Orton is already overwhelmed with challengers as it is. You know, we have Drew McIntyre. We have now The Fiend. The Miz is still looming in the background. And of course, we have Roman Reigns, who's fighting at the next pay-per-view. Uh, way too many challengers right now. I feel like we should just be focusing in on the Roman Reigns match. And in the meantime, what you could be doing is having Drew versus The Fiend, and the winner goes on to fight Randy. I don't think you need all of them together because it's just creating a mishmash of a focus that should be put on the marquee match for Survivor Series. But then the question, you know, poses is, would you have The Fiend lose? Because there's two scenarios where The Fiend would probably lose in both. Either A, you have Drew McIntyre beat The Fiend to go on to fight Randy Orton, or B, you have The Fiend beat Drew McIntyre, make Drew look, you know, give him a loss, which doesn't really do anything good for Drew, but then ultimately have Randy beat The Fiend and retain the title, which, you know, I don't think Randy's going to be losing that title anytime soon, so you would have to let the fiend lose in some capacity so would you do that i don't really know uh ultimately i don't think you need to be in the title picture if you're the fiend um i do like them tying in randy's history with bray however um i don't really see bray changing the fiend uh excuse me i don't really see bray changing randy when he fights the fiend because you know there's that whole dynamic of whenever the fiend faces you he changes you um but i don't really see how you could change randy would you turn him face and then you get rid of all those possibilities of a rematch with Drew, a match with Edge, uh, maybe Keith Lee. I don't know. That I really would not like to see Randy as a face nowadays. Um, I'm nervous that this is the end of the whole Fiend changes you dynamic, which really made his character interesting. But ever since he fought Kevin Owens, we had that mini feud. Kevin Owens hasn't really changed. Unless we're waiting on a long-term uh, change to his character, I don't know. I really haven't seen a change there. So maybe that's the end to that so it allows for more of a weaker fiend i hope not but that's what it's looking like so gonna have to wait to see where they go about bray and randy but going uh coming back to alexa bliss here um, not only do we have the dynamic with alexa and uh the fiend bray wyatt in the funhouse but we also have this mini feud still going on between uh alexa bliss and nikki cross now i'm sure that they are still building up to this one-on-one -on -one match which i am very much looking forward to um, I'm hoping it's not at Survivor Series because you still have a little bit of time to build up this feud uh, just because we have seen WWE uh, excel in long-term booking, especially this year. Um, you know, there were some hits with uh, Roman and Jey Uso and Bailey and Sasha Banks, but there were also a few misses with the uh, Dominic Mysterio, Seth Rollins, Rey Mysterio, that whole mishmash that's still going on. 
So there is some potential to go long-term with this feud. I don't know if they will, but if they end it off at Survivor Series and we get a one-on-one match between them, it's probably going to be on the pre-show considering, you know, you have that brand versus brand warfare going on. And I don't think they would want to uh, get rid of that kind of dynamic to the entire show. So, I mean, I really hope they do push it off to a TLC or, you know, just sometime in the future because this feud really is still intriguing enough to warrant me to want to see this one-on-one. Um, I find it funny how Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss have kind of swapped dynamics of their characters. You know, once Nikki Cross in NXT was the crazy one and Alexa Bliss, I guess you could call her just normal. Um, so now we've kind of swapped that with uh, Alexa Bliss taking on the more dark role, the dark side, if you will. Uh, whereas Nikki Cross is kind of normal. You know, she got new music, which I don't know if that's her new music. Hopefully not because... That seemed, it sounded like country music. It was very strange. Hopefully that's not going to stay. But yeah, I find it funny how we see that little swap in their characters. Uh, Very interesting. But I mean, you know, at the end of the day, the Fun House has been one of the more consistently great aspects of not only Raw, but WWE in general. Um, So I'm really looking forward to seeing where they go about with this new Joker, Harley Quinn aspect of pairing Bray Wyatt with Alexa Bliss. Speaking of one of the better things that I've seen in the few last few months in, uh, this is more specific to Raw, uh, the Hurt Business. For me personally, they've been the best stable in the WWE since I want to say the New Day. And that's a really good testament to how good this team has been. MVP, uh, no pun intended, but still pun intended, has been the most valuable player in the company ever since his return. And helping him, um, you know, taking Bobby Lashley out of that Lana storyline, which couldn't have done sooner enough. So thank you, uh, MVP, for that. But at the end of the day, he's helped all members of the Hurt Business in their own ways. You know, I was a little nervous for the inclusion of Cedric Alexander uh, coming into this group. I thought this was a way to, because this was around the time that Ricochet and Apollo Crews were still feuding with the Hurt Business and Cedric was with them. So I thought that this was a way to kind of turn on the Hurt Business from the inside out and eventually get Cedric in the United States title picture by feuding with Bobby Lashley. But at the end of the day, now that he's cemented himself as a member of the Hurt Business, I think this is the perfect opportunity for Cedric to thrive in a heel role because I always say the best heels are even better, uh, excuse me, the best faces are always better heels. And we've seen that with guys like Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles, Roman Reigns, you name it. Uh, Speaking of Bobby Lashley, however, Uh, He's really put himself in a great position with the Hurt Business. If you were to ask me around WrestleMania, if you would have seen Bobby Lashley as one of the more intriguing wrestlers in the WWE right now, I would call you crazy just because of what was going on with uh, Rusev and uh, Lana, Liv Morgan, very strange storyline. Thankfully, they got him out of that. And now he has aligned himself with MVP and the rest of the Hurt Business. But for me, all I see for Bobby Lashley is two more things that he needs before he can retire and uh, really accomplish it all right? One of those is the world title. And the other is, and I don't even know if they could do it at this point, but the match with Brock Lesnar. I know that Bobby Lashley has wanted this match with Lesnar for as long as I have heard him talk about it. He really came back to the WWE with this match in mind. And, you know, Brock isn't under contract with the WWE right now, as far as I'm aware. But I mean, there are ways that you could go about doing this, where you can convince Brock to come back for this marquee match. Now, this would have to, you know, we would kill two birds with one stone necessarily um, by putting the title on Bobby Lashley. Now, how would you do it? Well, I'm going to tell you. 
This is a little fantasy booking here. So basically, you can't put Bobby Lashley in the world title picture right now because I already talked about with The Fiend, there are way too many challengers. So what you do is you hold the title on Randy until WrestleMania where he will drop it to Edge, where we can end the trilogy if you want to do I Quit, whatever stipulation. Edge ultimately becomes WWE champion. Um, You want to do it at SummerSlam or Money in the Bank. Edge is going to be a transitional champion. He doesn't need the title. I think this is just to draw more attention to Mania as it is. But ultimately, at, let's say, SummerSlam, Bobby Lashley is going to beat Edge for the title. And now the Hurt Business has some gold, right? They have the gold in uh, the WWE title. At that same event of SummerSlam, Roman Reigns is still universal champion. And up to the buildup to that show, we return Brock Lesnar as a face where he can go up against the heel Roman Reigns. I know that we've seen this match millions of times already, and I'm sure that we all just want to get rid of the whole dynamic between Roman Reigns and uh, Brock Lesnar. But now you have a different story where it's a face Brock Lesnar going up against the heel Roman Reigns with Brock Lesnar's old manager. So there's a little bit of a difference there. Ultimately, Brock loses to Roman Reigns um, because at the end of the day, you're not going to take the title off of Roman. And now uh, you have a full half of a year to build up Brock Lesnar once again as a face. You put him up against heel competitors. Um, And now at WrestleMania, you go ahead and you do the match. Bobby Lashley, world heavyweight champion, defending up against uh, face Brock Lesnar. And honestly, if you build it up for uh, a WrestleMania 38 match, you can't go wrong. Um, So I don't know if they're going to do that. Maybe they don't even have Bobby Lashley in world title picture aspirations as it is. So, uh, you know, we're going to have to see what they do with Bobby. But if you want to go about putting him in the world title, uh, giving him the world title, rather, that's, in my opinion, the way to do it by also giving him that dream match with Brock Lesnar. But we talked enough about Bobby Lashley. Let's talk about the rest of the Hurt Business, uh, because this past Monday night on Raw, we saw a really good match between the New Day, the Tag Team Champions, and the Hurt Business. And honestly, I would say that that was probably my match of the night. It was a really good match. Um, And for me personally, this is the type of feud that the WWE really needs right now um, in the the tag team title picture. Uh, I see the Hurt Business winning those titles as soon as possible. Um, You know, but you know, this is a type of feud that they do need simply due to the fact that they've been breaking up so many tag teams. Recently, we just saw, you know, Heavy Machinery break up at Hell in a Cell. We saw the Lucha House Party. Even though they're still a tag team, they're not necessarily like, you know, in the tag team picture. So you have them. You're very lacking on tag teams right now. So to put the Hurt Business up against the New Day is probably the best case scenario because now I see the Hurt Business winning those titles as soon as possible. Um, You know, we've seen the New Day with the titles 10 times now. And at least half of those title reigns have been pretty short reigns. Um, And they've recovered from having short reigns being necessarily transitional champions. So if I'm the New Day and if I'm booking the New Day, I'm fine with taking those titles off of them around TLC or the Royal Rumble to put it on Shelton and Cedric. Um, You know, the New Day is going to be fine. They are, they've established themselves as the top team in the WWE right now. Um, And, you know, I saw them, I feel like either way, whoever was the champions on Raw, be it the New Day or the Street Profits, uh, Shelton and Cedric were going to be the next tag team champions. And I feel like it's even better for them to win it against the New Day, because now you have established names. That's not to say that the Street Profits aren't established, but I mean, it's more impressive to beat the New Day, the best team in the WWE right now, 
than it is to beat the, the, the Street Profits, who, yes, they are a very good team in their own right. But at the end of the day, you know, you have the dream match between uh, the New Day and the Street Profits. You get that out of the way. Um, whoever wins that, you want to give it to the Street Profits to get them over? Sure. If you want to, you could even do it. You have the Street Profits uh, win due to the Hurt Business kind of interfering. I don't know if you would go necessarily in that route um, because then that'll make the Street Profits look a little weak. But I mean, you can figure it out. Go ahead and figure out however you want to do that. So you get the, the dream match out of the way. And at the, at the end of the day, you want to do it at TLC. You want to do it on a random Raw. You name it. However they're going to do it, you get those titles on Shelton and Cedric as soon as possible. Because I feel like the Hurt Business can be, you know, if they live up to the, the potential that so many people see in them, they could be one of the better groups in wrestling in the WWE history. And that's a lot to put on them right now. But I mean, you look at it, I compare them to Evolution, right? I compare them to Evolution. There's a lot of people that compare them to The Nation, and I could see why. But necessarily, when it comes down to it, The Nation of Domination were there to create stars, not necessarily uh, be a group. Rather, they were there to make new stars, more specifically, and at the forefront of this would be The Rock. Um, Whereas in Evolution, it, yes, it was to create new stars in Randy Orton and Batista, but more so, it was there to build them up as a group. When you align yourself with someone like Triple H, sure, that gives you the rub, but all of a sudden, you're not a young star anymore. You're a star because you're in a group who hold all the gold and you're Evolution. Um, so that's why I see kind of the Hurt Business in a light of Evolution. You know, you have three already established guys um, in Lashley, MVP, and Shelton with Cedric. And Cedric's going to, you know, get a little bit of a rub off of these three guys um, due to the fact that they're all together as a group instead of, um, you know, being separate. You know, I'm rambling too much about this. Um, ultimately, I see a lot of potential in the Hurt Business to go forward from here. Um, I'm really hoping that they do... Uh, give them all the gold, be it, you know, you give, you keep the title on Lashley and you give the tag team titles to Shelton and Cedric, or even if you want to give everyone a title, uh, how you could do it is step one, you give Shelton and Cedric those tag team titles. Step two, go ahead and give MVP the 24-7 title, because honestly, the 24-7 title needs something other than R-Truth, Akira Tozawa, and Drew Gulak, which I'm getting tired of seeing a repeated uh, cycle of those guys. So give him the title. And at the end of the day, you still got the opportunity to give, to give the world title to Bobby Lashley. So if you do that, give them all the gold. There you go. You have a big threat there on Monday Night Raw. So looking forward to seeing what they do with that group. But I'm also looking forward to, and not necessarily looking forward, but I'm interested, intrigued to see what they do with another group on Raw. And that is, of course, Ali and Retribution. I have a lot to say on Retribution. There's so much to say about Retribution. Um, I was one of those people who were very hopeful about the group. Once they debuted on SmackDown, they had a pretty good showing. Um, immediately, people were drawing comparisons to the Nexus, and I could see why. But, you know, at the end of the day, Nexus had an untouchable debut, and you can't really compare that, especially with goofy chainsaws and uh, masks that ha uh, hid uh, random jobbers from beating up the, uh, not beating up, ruining the uh, SmackDown set. So wouldn't really put them in that category. But nevertheless, I was very hopeful about the storyline. You know, when you have something as intriguing as Retribution, um, you know, you, there's so much that you can do. But at the same time, there was so much that they went wrong with. Um, 
I thought the, the, the names that they chose, you know, Dajakovic, Dio Madden, Mia Yim, all those names, I feel like they were fine, um, but they didn't really have a motivation. They were kind of just beating up random guys, and then you see them put these five names in random masks and give them spooky names, and all of a sudden, people are starting to say, well, there goes retribution. But then here comes uh, Mustafa Ali, and he has ultimately saved this group by giving them a purpose. You know, Mustafa was really supposed to be the guy who was uh, supposed to be in Kofi Mania. You know, he got injured, Kofi kind of took the spot, and the rest is history. So this is kind of, even though they're not uh, necessarily saying it, this is kind of Ali's retribution. Um, and he's aligned himself with other guys who feel that they haven't gotten the, uh, the spot that they deserve. Um, and, you know, we were going somewhere with this. And then you feed them to the Fiend, and you lose to the Hurt Business twice in convincing fashion. And now uh, you hit a uh, roadblock a little bit. And now you don't really know where you're going to go. Um, ultimately, I'm nervous for, the, uh, for Retribution, but I feel like Ali is such a good performer that he can really help this team out, save them um, in different ways. At the end of the day, I think they're going to be fine. They have merchandise on WWE Shop. They have, you know, their own branding. They have all this stuff. So, you know, they're putting some effort into this and they're putting effort into this group. They're not necessarily just cutting them off. Um, but what I don't like is that Retribution's kind of becoming a member of the, the system that they so swore to take down. You know, they're selling their own merchandise on WWEshop.com. They are going on Raw Talk for interviews for the company. They are, you know, just random stuff. They sign contracts with Raw. They have their own logo, which they have displayed on their own entrance and everything like that. They're coming out of the entranceway. I feel like there was a lot of potential to really make Retribution its own entity. But at the end of the day, they didn't necessarily go that route. And I feel like that's kind of hurting them. So I think there's still some uh, leeway in saving Retribution. I think you can ultimately make them a dominant threat so long as you allow Ali to steer the course. Um, you know, Dio Madden, Dominic, um, Shane, and uh, Mia Yim, they all have impressive looks to them. So I think they'll be okay as long as the booking from here on out is, you know, puts them in a, a little bit of a spotlight. And uh, now that I'm seeing Mia Yim, you know, reckoning, um, uh, kind of challenge Asuka, that gives me a little bit of hope. Do I see her beating Asuka for the title? No, I don't. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, hoping that they do something with Retribution. Speaking of Asuka, let's talk about some other quick facts before I get into the second part of this episode about Raw. Um, the women's division on Raw is very not good right now. It's suffering. Um, you know, that's very uh, fitting because you look at the Survivor Series women's team and it's honestly hot garbage. Um, you know, they're pushing Dana Brooke to be the next Trish Stratus and I can see it. Um, definitely, if you can get her to that level of star power, go for it. Um, but I mean, you have like Dana Brooke, Lana, Nia Jax, you know, my opinion on her. Um, and it really leaves just Shayna Baszler. And I feel bad because, you know, as much as I liked the pairing of her and Jax towards the beginning of the run when they went up against Sasha and Bailey as faces, now they kind of just switch them to heels all of a sudden to feud with Lana. And it's like when you have three names that I necessarily don't care about and then throw in two more to just add fluff to that feud, at the end of the day, I don't care. This is a really bad women's division. Um, and it hurts because Asuka now has no challengers besides 
Reckoning. And they are going to, I guess they're going to do whatever they can to build up Reckoning um, if they go in that route. But I think the only way that this women's division can be saved is once three names come back. Those names are Charlotte, Becky Lynch, and if she decides to come back, who knows at this point, Ronda Rousey. We all know that Ronda Rousey and Becky Lynch is being predicted to be the Raw Women's Championship match for WrestleMania. I think if you go about doing that, you get the title on Ronda at the Royal Rumble, uh, where you have her beat Asuka in, in my eyes. That's a dream match right there, Asuka versus Ronda Rousey. Uh, go ahead, let Ronda beat Asuka. And then from there, you have Ronda versus Becky, the singles match at WrestleMania, where Ronda would probably end up winning. Um, and then from there, even if you want to, Start building up the four horsewomen versus the four horsewomen. Uh, the four horsewomen, if you uh, want to go in that route, uh, I don't know if anyone's still interested. I kind of am. Uh, that gives Shayna Baszler something to do. That gives uh, you know Marina Schaffer and uh, Jessamine Duke something to do, because ever since Raw Underground, which we'll get to in a second, uh, got uh, the boot, and they've kind of been not really doing anything, but they have been on TV, so kind of established name there. Um, you know. And it gives a little bit more of a dynamic to the whole Bailey and Sasha Banks thing. If you want to team them up together one more time to take on the four horsewomen, you have that way to go about it. Will they go about it? Probably not. But if you want to bring back Ronda, that's probably the way that I would go about doing so. But until we get Charlotte, uh, Becky, and Ronda back, I don't really see this Raw Women's Division thriving in any way. Sure, Asuka's great, but at the end of the day, if you don't have any challenges for her, there's not really much that you can do. We already mentioned it uh, just now. Raw Underground is gone. Um, it was, in my eyes, a really good concept to draw some interest in the third hour. But again, it is one of those third hour things that WWE brings in, tries to garner some more attention to the third hour, and it ultimately didn't pay off. Um, I liked the first episode of Raw Underground. I thought that was a cool dynamic. But once they toned it down, didn't really enjoy it as much. Um, so we have to see where they go with that. Uh, Shane McMahon has just vanished from WWE ever since Raw Underground left. So uh, a lot of unanswered questions there. I'm uh, interested to see what they do with guys like Daba Kato and uh, Arturo Ruas. Will they do anything? Probably not. But I think Daba has enough of a look that uh, they can find something for him. Honestly, if you go ahead and you just put Daba Kato and you have it managed by Shane McMahon, that's enough of a reason for me to be interested. I think Daba Kato drew enough interest that um, I would like to see him in a wrestling ring environment. Um, not necessarily Ruas or Riddick Moss, but if anything, Kato uh, was enough of a character to you know, get some attention. So sucks that Raw Underground suffered, um, didn't live up to its potential, but at the end of the day, I'm sure none of us didn't see this coming. Um, so uh, that's enough about Raw Underground. And ultimately, if I have one thing to say about Raw, you know, they really, they were really helped out by this draft. They got a lot of cool guys coming in, helping out the mid-card division, especially um, just look at the, uh, the men's Raw Survivor Series team. AJ Styles now with his bodyguard, which I think is a great pairing. Uh, Braun Strowman, Keith Lee, you still have that feud going on. Uh, Sheamus, and uh, I know he's not on the team, but Riddle, uh, now that he's called, Matt Riddle. Um, great, great mid-card. So uh, a lot of challengers there just to, you know, throw in some good matches, looking forward to everything that they do with that. Uh, hoping that we get a Keith Lee or a Matt Riddle push coming in soon. Um, a lot of people were saying that they were dead in the water once they came to the main roster due to the name changes and the gimmicks and the, you know, the, the clothes and the entrance music. But at the end of the day, I don't think Vince would be making these changes to these characters if they didn't see something in them. 
he wants to make them as marketable as possible. So I think you need to give them some time. Keith Lee is a super natural freak of an athlete. He's going to do fine. Matt Riddle wouldn't be getting his name chopped if it wasn't to be more marketable to put on a t-shirt. And at the end of the day, Matt Riddle likes his new name. So we're going to have to see where they go with that. But that's really all I had to say on Raw. I feel like we have a lot of good and a lot of bad to talk about. But at the end of the day, it is stuff to talk about. So as long as Raw is uh, a topic point, then I will be intrigued. Uh, is Raw the A show? No, I think SmackDown's the A show now that we're on Fox and uh, there's more of an interest there um, for the blue brand. But at the end of the day, Raw is always going to be somewhat intriguing uh, until we cut it down to two hours, which I hope is soon. When's that contract ending up? When's that contract wrapping up? I'm looking forward to uh, seeing a shorter Raw. because Three hours, too much, too much. But we've talked enough about the current state of wrestling right now. Let's talk about our feature for today. I posted it on my Instagram at the Titan Tron Podcast. If you haven't followed already, make sure you go do so. Um, I posted a picture of Mount Rushmore, and it was it had a few faces, a few familiar faces. But at the end of the day, the question was, who is on the Mount Rushmore of the WWE? Um, and I'm going to give you who I believe to be on that list. Now, some of these names are going to be controversial. Some of them are going to be expected. But at the end of the day, I hope that you uh, take into consideration my thought process. I'm going to explain all of my names. Um, but first of all, let's talk about what the criteria in my eyes is to be on the Mount Rushmore of the WWE. What it comes down to is not necessarily the wrestling itself. Sure, to be a great wrestler, that'll warrant you a spot. But at the end of the day, that's not all it takes. You need star quality. You need drawing power. You need, you know, uh, char uh, charisma. You need mic skills. You need the look. You need, if I were to go out onto my street right now, go out into the world of New York and ask people who is so-and-so or who is this name, they should be able or ask, you know, anyone uh, name me a wrestler and they would say one of these four names. That's really what it comes down to. So, you know, as much as it want, I wanted to put some names on this list, I couldn't. One of those guys that were at the top of the list that barely missed out was The Undertaker. Um, you know, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. At the end of the day, I couldn't put him on this list just because, you know, another aspect of it is you need to be the face of your era that you were in. And sure, The Undertaker was in a lot of eras of wrestling, but at the end of the day, would you call him a face of a figurehead of any of those eras? Necessarily, I would say no. Uh, another guy that got the boot from the list was The Rock. And I know a lot of people would argue for The Rock just because of his mainstream attention that he garnered to the company. But would you say that that mainstream attention was for the WWE or was it more for The Rock? I think The Rock uh, ended his wrestling career in a spot where it benefited him. But that attention really didn't come back to the company. I think it was more just for Dwayne Johnson himself. So sure, he's one of the biggest movie stars um, in the world today. But at the end of the day, I don't think his impact on wrestling on WWE was, uh, you know, exemplified in uh, compared to the rest of these other guys on the list. Another guy would be Bret Hart. Bret Hart was probably one of the best pure wrestlers in the WWE history. Uh, but I mean, then it comes down to the drawing power and it comes down to, you know, again, give me a name for a wrestler and I don't think he would be on this list. Um, you know, if we were to talk about pure wrestling, then I think there would be a entirely different list than just these guys that I'm about to talk about. I think, 
you know, Brett would be at the top of that list. I think if you were to talk about a Mount Rushmore for professional wrestling, you would put Brett on that list. And I also, I also think that you would put another guy who got the boot from this list, Ric Flair. And sure, Ric Flair is one of the most iconic wrestlers of all time. But at the end of the day, he was more iconic for his roles in WCW and NWA than he was for WWE. He came into WWE and he became, you know, Ric Flair. And he, uh, he brought over his persona, won the 92 Rumble, feuded with Randy Savage. But besides that, that was really it. Um, sure, he had his run towards the tail end of his career. But I don't think his name was really built up as a WWE guy. So I couldn't really put him on this list either. And there were all other omissions that I had to, uh, that I really have to include, um, you know, couldn't include rather, you know, there's guys like Bob Backlund and Triple H, Shawn Michaels. Uh, you can even make an argument for like Kane, I guess, um, you know, different guys like that. And then even if you want to go for more recent guys, would you make the argument for like a CM Punk? Would you make an argument for Daniel Bryan? I don't know. Uh, but ultimately those guys could not make my list. Um, but the four that I have chosen, I feel are, you know, as good of a list as I could have made. So let's get straight into this list. I've hyped it up enough. The first guy on this list might be a little bit already a talking point. Um, but for me, there are two guys on this list that I think are definite. And there are two guys that could be argued. One of those guys is Bruno San Martino. For me, Bruno was one of the founding fathers of the WWE in terms of, you know, you have guys like Vince, you have Vince Sr. And then I think you have Bruno. And, uh, you know, other guys like Toots and everyone like that. But uh, Bruno was one of those, you know, one of the first top guys in the wrestling ring. Um, he was the figurehead of the WWF when they were still a regional promotion um, based in New York. Um, and then you just think about his story, how, how he basically embodied the American dream during a time when, you know, there were so many WWF really f uh, focused in on minority superheroes to kind of draw that attention. And they really did so with guys like Pedro Morales and especially Bruno San Martino. He was honestly a real life superhero um, when, as he's been champion for seven years. Of course, he beat uh, Nature Boy Buddy Rogers in, what was it, 17 seconds. And from there, he had a long seven year reign where he sold out Madison Square Garden so many times and a lot more times than any sports team or any other performer you really could think about um, has done before. So, I mean, in that regard, Bruno did a lot to put wrestling, uh, the WWE, on the map, um, at, at least as a company itself. Um, sure, it was still a regional promotion, but at that time, Bruno was always the top dog in the main event, um, wherever he went, whoever you put him up against, he was always going to be the guy that drew the mainstream attention, uh, not, not, sorry, not the mainstream attention, but uh, he drew the most amount of eyes. You know, when you went to Madison Square Garden, you weren't there to see, you know, random guys like Chief Jay Strongbow, or you weren't there to see a Freddie Blassie. You were there. I don't even know if they were wrestling around the time of uh, Bruno, but you know what I'm talking about. You weren't there to see those guys. You were there to see Bruno. Um, and he was able to, uh, you know, bring up other guys in the main event spot and draw some more attention to those guys. So I think in that regard, Bruno did a lot for the business, um, you know, years ago. You know, and I'm talking about this as if I know, if I've seen every Bruno match. I haven't. But, you know, when you talk about the impact that he's had on the WWE as a whole, I feel like there's nothing you can argue against Bruno being put on that list of Mount Rushmore as one of the, you know, found, as like I said, one of the founding fathers 
of the WWE. But speaking of, I mentioned the word mainstream. That brings me to my next guy, Hulk Hogan. Um, when you talk about mainstream attention uh, being brought to the WWE and to the idea of wrestling as a whole, Hulk Hogan um, in the mid to late 80s was that guy to bring in all of that. It started with Rocky Three, and from there we had the buildup to WrestleMania One. If it wasn't for Hulk Hogan and if it wasn't for the uh, mania that was Hulkamania, then I don't think there would be as successful of a WWE as there is today. Vince McMahon took a huge risk by going national. And if it wasn't for Hogan's uh, physique and his character and his larger-than-life persona, I don't think there would be a WWE as we know it today. Um, You know, you want to talk about the build-up to WrestleMania. You have, you know, the connection with MTV. You have the rock and wrestling. You have the cartoon that was based on Hulk Hogan. You have SNL and all the talk shows. Like I mentioned, Rocky III really put him on the map, um, got a lot of eyes on him. And then you bring it all down to WrestleMania one, where you have the match uh, where he tag teamed Mr. T. And that show was really for the mainstream audience. And from there, all eyes were on the WWF. Um, he was this American figure who stood for everything good. You know, like you said, say your prayers, eat your vitamins. Um, every heel that he went up against was looked as a challenge. But at the end of the day, you knew that Hulk, that Hulk Hogan was going to prevail. Um, he never lost. He would always go up against these guys and he would be the top guy. You went to these wrestling shows to see Hulk Hogan. And that's really what it is. Sure, you went to see like Andre and Randy Savage and all these other guys. But at the end of the day, you were really there to see Hulk Hogan. Um, he was this character that like, you know, went farther than just being a, a WWE wrestler. He was in many people's eyes, especially around this time period. If you were to ask someone to envision what a wrestler is, it would probably look like Hulk Hogan. And even nowadays, if you were to ask what a wrestler looked like, it would still probably be Hulk Hogan. He established this macho persona, you know, with the red and the yellow, um, you know, the red and the yellow branding, the huge biceps and the, you know, this, this uh, patriotic American uh, great promo, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. He is in many eyes, what a wrestler looks like. Of course that has changed throughout the years, which I'm going to get into why and this next name, but uh, you know, he put wrestling on the map when the WWE went national, he was the figurehead. And it all came down to a lot of these iconic moments. I already talked about WrestleMania and the buildup to it. And then you talk about WrestleMania three, slamming Andre the Giant. This marquee match that drew, um, at least WWE wants to call it, 90,000 people in the Silver Dome. Right? The Silver Dome? I believe so. The Silver Dome. Um, yes. This, uh, <laughs> I was comparing it to the Superdome. Uh, I pulled the Hogan there. Sorry about that. Uh, but, you know, slamming Andre the Giant. That was a huge moment, and that is still what many people call one of the biggest moments in wrestling history. Um, and then you have the feuds with Randy Savage and putting over the Warrior and, you know, just everything. You, you know, I'm not going to talk about WCW, but all the stuff he did with the NWO, that was also huge, and you all draw it back to the WWE. And, you know, sure, there is the level of controversy when you talk about Hulk Hogan, especially in this day and age, and I understand that. But if we're talking about the WWE, and we're talking about their Mount Rushmore. For me personally, I feel like you need to separate the person from the character. 
And if we're talking about the character that is Hulk Hogan, he has been one of the most influential characters and one of the most influential wrestlers in wrestling history. If you ask anyone right now, they will probably know who Hulk Hogan is. I'm not going to lie. I could probably ask a random lady walking down the street, hey, do you know who this guy is? And they'll say Hulk Hogan. Um, so at the end of the day, I feel like Hulk Hogan needs to be on this list. Controversy aside, he's done so much for the business. He's put wrestling on the map. And at the end of the day, got to put Hogan on the Mount Rushmore. Uh, I mentioned how the look of a wrestler kind of changed. Um, and it's due to this name. Uh, I think you have to put Steve Austin on this list. Uh, he, epitomi- he epitomized the change in wrestling around the 90s. You know, when wrestling was starting to take more of an edge, he was the figurehead of this rebellious generation. And he was truly the shift in the landscape of the WWE. That was the Attitude Era. You know, when WCW went to war with the WWF in the 90s, this was still around the time when the new gen was bringing up all these wacky characters who had a trash man and a Doink the Clown and all these different names. And at the end of the day, you know, you would have these guys not really be interesting. Whereas you switch over to WCW when they put some interest with some older established names from the WWF and you have the cruiserweights and you have more of a focus on the mid card and you know, all this different stuff, actual wrestling. So when Vince came on national TV and said the era of uh, saying your prayers and eating your vitamins was over and truly kicked off what the attitude era was, you had Steve Austin who sure he started off in ECW and not really established his name there, but you know, he, showcase what he could have done and he brought that in a much more uh emphasized way in the wwf and that's really what it came down to when austin was the main guy who drew the ratings in the monday night war and at the end of the day austin was the guy who won the war for the wwf you know his iconic catchphrases the merchandise he sold who who knows how many shirts of uh, austin 316 and of course the storyline the storyline in the WWE with McMahon versus Austin, um, you know, bringing to life this idea of sticking it to your boss, sticking it to the authority. It really brought WWF alive out of the war. And I don't think we would have seen a type of WWF, um, whereas we see it right now, if it wasn't for guys like Austin, more specifically, Austin. Um, Similar to Hogan, he had multiple moments that stand out as the best in wrestling, as the most iconic moments. And he garnered a lot of mainstream attention, especially around the Attitude Era. You know, those years, 97 to 2001, like we say, it's probably the golden age of wrestling just because of how wacky everything was, how everything was must-see. Every week you had something going on. And that was really all thanks to Austin because if it wasn't for that feud with, with McMahon, you know, WWE wouldn't have garnered as much attention as they did. Um, as I alluded to, Austin has influenced a new generation of wrestlers where it's not necessarily expected to be a larger-than-life superhero to be a wrestler. And instead, thanks to Austin and thanks to, you know, different guys around this time, but more specifically Austin, instead there are now levels to characters in wrestling. You know, you can be, um, you know, this anti-hero, and at the end of the day, you can still draw like Austin did. You know, so now we've seen characters like CM Punk and Daniel Bryan who aren't necessarily an idea of what a wrestler should be, but at the end of the day, they are, they have been some of the most influential and most important wrestlers in wrestling history. So I think that's all thanks to Austin for going ahead and sparking this new age in wrestling that is carried over to this day. Um, so yeah, that's all I really had to say about Austin. Those two names, were Hogan and Austin, are probably undisputable.
you can't dispute the fact that these two are the most uh, important wrestlers in WWE history, let alone wrestling history. But now we come back to the controversial picks, and it all comes down to this last name. And if I say the word controversy, you probably already know who I'm going to name. And I already see a lot of people disagreeing with me, and I understand that. John Cena. John Cena is one of the four, uh, I was about to say the four horsemen. Sure, one of the four horsemen of uh, the WWE. He's one of the most controversial figures in wrestling history, period. You know, we're talking about a time of the, the ruthless aggression era where it wasn't necessarily the Attitude Era, but it wasn't necessarily, you know, uh, the PG Era. When you want to talk about the PG Era, we made that transition from ruthless aggression where we still had an edge to wrestling. Now, in 2008, when we turn to a more PG-like environment, kid-friendly, I guess you can call it, he was the guy that carried that torch into that era. And love him or hate him, he carried that torch as well as he could have. He still garnered that mainstream attention that, like I keep saying, it's all about the mainstream. Uh, he kept the eyes on the product, which, you know, ultimately, he did so much for wrestling that it allowed him to break into Hollywood. So now that brings up the question, well, why didn't I include The Rock? Sure. At the end of the day, I feel like Cena did more for the WWE in terms of the mainstream than The Rock did. Like I mentioned before, I think The Rock's uh, Hollywood success ultimately benefited him more than it did benefit the company. Whereas I feel like everything that Cena's done as far as third party, you want to talk about Hollywood, make a wish, um, you know, everything that he's done, TV, uh, the, the albums, everything. I feel like that was all done with the mentality of this is making the WWE, you know, keeping it relevant during a time when it's really hard to, um, you know, he transitioned the company into an age where, you know, we would see a lot more social media being taken into account. We would see, you know, viewership of television go down, but not necessarily interest. Sure, the interest was, you know, lacking than it was in the Attitude Era. But at the end of the day, Cena did everything he could to keep the interest as high as he could. And he succeeded. He was excellent on the mic. He was a great promo. He was believable when he needed to be. Um, his skills in the ring grew as he got older and as the competition got better. He honestly adapted to the new age. You know, we saw around 2015 with the United States Open, uh, the United States Championship Open Challenge, you know, he would go up against these guys like Sami Zayn and Neville and Kevin Owens, and he would adapt and he would bring out new moves that we'd never seen before. Uh, whereas towards 2010, 2011, we would say, sure, Cena buried some talent. Sure, we can make that argument. Cena did bury talent. Uh, the Nexus should have gone completely different. Uh, Bray Wyatt should have came up on top on that feud. Uh, Ryback honestly could have been WWE champion around that point. I feel like maybe it was a little bit too soon, but in the situation that he was in, he should have got the title. Um, sure, you can make those arguments. But at the end of the day, when it came down, I feel like you can't argue the fact that he, if you had any doubts about Cena burying talent, he saved himself ever since these last few years in the company. He put over Styles, put over Ambrose, he put over Wyatt, he saved him. Um, you know, all these different guys, Roman, he put over Roman, um, tried to make him the new face of the company. Is that working? I guess now kind of, but at the time, no, um, but he put him over. So he's given a lot back to the company, um, a lot back than a lot of other of these names have. You know, you draw it back to Hogan, he didn't want to lose ever, uh, even in his uh, 2000s days where he beat guys like uh, Orton and uh, 
you know, lost cheap to some guys, you know, even guys like Stone Cold, who when Brock Lesnar was being, you know, of course, the next big thing, he didn't want to lose to him at King of the Ring. So uh, he kind of just walked away from the company. Um, I'm not sure if I have that exact story right, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, whereas Cena, sure, he's refused to lose on some occasions, like the Nexus, that whole thing. But at the end of the day, these last few years, he's really given a lot back to the company, which I think needs the credit that, it, that he deserves. So, I mean, you could argue against it. You can argue for it. For me personally, Cena has to be on the Mount Rushmore of the WWE for everything that he's done for the company. Um, you know, honestly, if there was ever to be a guy to take off Mount Rushmore, I feel like Cena wouldn't even be that guy. If anything, I think Sam Martino would be that guy. Um, and then in that case, you know, if I think about it for long enough, I'd probably swap out Undertaker and to put into Bruno's place. But for me personally, I feel like this is as good of a list as I could make. You know, San Martino, Hogan, Austin, Cena. And that's it. That's really all it comes down to. I think, um, you know, there are some points to be made for these guys and there are some points to be made against these guys. At the end of the day, picking a Mount Rushmore for anything is so hard. You think about Mount Rushmore, not only for wrestling, think about sports, think about entertainment, you think about, you know, presidents, um, you know, anything. It's so hard because it's the top four names who have, not necessarily been the best, but have um, put their, uh, the topic of what the Mount Rushmore is for uh, over the edge and have defined it to be what it is. So, I mean, when I think about that criteria, that's really what it comes down to. These four names, they've really done so much for the company as it is that I don't see you arguing against them. So that's my list. You have Bruno San Martino, Hulk Hogan, Steve Austin, and the, uh, I was about to say The Rock, John Cena as uh, your top four names for my Mount Rushmore. For me personally, I think that this is a perfect list. But at the end of the day, my opinion is never perfect. So I want to hear from you, uh, you folks at home, who do you think is on the Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling? Type down in the comments below, write it on my Instagram post, contact me in any way. I want to know what you think to be is the Mount Rushmore of the WWE in particular. If you want to go professional wrestling, we'll talk about that at some point. Let me know what you have to say. Um, I'll read some comments on the next episode. Sure, why not? We'll see. Uh, I'll uh, shout out some people and see what they have to say. But until then, I would say that this has been a pretty successful episode of the Titantron. I want to thank you all for our second episode of the second season. We're wrapping this up here. Uh, make sure, if you haven't already, follow my Instagram at the Titantron Podcast. Once again, 100 followers. Can't thank you guys enough for that. Uh, leave a like on this video. Leave a like on the last video. Uh, and subscribe. Those are really going to go a long way. We've already hit 20 subs, but I know that we can keep that growing. Um, we've hit 20 likes on the last video, but I know that we can keep that going. And uh, let's try to match our sub... Uh, excuse me. Let's try to match our like count on this episode. Um, looking forward to seeing what you guys can do there. At the end of the day, I want to thank you guys for tuning into another episode of the Titantron. I will be back on Friday to talk... Uh, just gonna have to wait and see, I guess. I don't really know yet. But at the end of the day, I want to thank you guys for yet another successful episode. I will see you guys next week. But until then, take care.